Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. It is so much fun to be with you, and it's very fun to once again have a guest. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we welcome you back to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Today, we're talking to Lisa Brockman. We've talked to Lisa before. The exciting thing about Lisa today is that she has a book that's about to be released and an article in Christianity Today that's about to come out regarding the book and her story. Lisa is a former Mormon, and she lives in the Orlando area, which is fun for me to have somebody else kind of local. Um, She's young, and she's on fire for the Lord, and she has an amazing story so lisa will you kind of um remind our listeners and particularly if they haven't heard before who you are and kind of how you decided to leave the performance-based religion of mormonism i'd be happy to thank you for having me oh we're so glad to have you So I am a mom of five kids. I am on staff with Crew, which is a global Christian organization, and married to Dennis Brockman. I'm a spiritual director and working toward my master's in Christian spiritual formation. So that's my current journey. That's not a lot. Can't wait to hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. So my journey out of Mormonism. The quick overview is I believed it with all my heart. Everything in me believed Mormonism to be true throughout my life. And I worked really hard to make myself worthy. I wanted to be worthy of Heavenly Father's love and acceptance and my community's love and acceptance. And as hard as I worked, I found myself feeling more unworthy than worthy. And I found myself torn between what I would call my dark side, and the side of me that I was supposed to be able to produce worthiness out of. And I found myself needing to hide my darkness from the time I was 10 years old in order to somehow put on a veneer that I could be worthy. But inside I knew this striving and striving wasn't enough to keep me into Heavenly Father's good graces so to speak and so by the time I was in high school what had felt like skipping stones into the foundation of my eternal destiny creating that bedrock for my eternal destiny in the celestial kingdom now felt like transporting boulders like personal worthiness became heavier and heavier and my felt the feeling of unworthiness became more and more prevalent as I struggled as so many teenagers do with temptations that come my way came my way during high school and so by my senior year of high school I think I was so weary 
of working so hard and never feeling like I was accepted, never feeling like I was enough to have be worthy of the Spirit's presence. And uh, works-based theology filters down into the family culture often. We become like that which we worship or the, the person that we worship. And so it can't help but filter into the family culture. And so this striving and this heaviness gave way to the picture I use is I was a pressure cooker waiting to explode. And I did my senior year of high school and ended up partying and just shutting down my conscience one decision at a time, one, one party at a time, swinging from this legalistic culture of performance-based acceptance and love to I don't care about anybody and what you think and so I was completely self-obsessed, but swung, my pendulum swung from legalism to licentiousness because that's the only place I thought or I could figure out that I might find some freedom from this shame-based culture. And so in that season, I ended up going to the University of Utah and I played tennis for them. And there, a friend on the tennis team lined me up with a guy who called himself a born-again Christian. And that is when my whole reality was turned upside down with one question. How do you know Mormonism is true? Yeah. And Lisa, I, I want to thank you for starting out with the subject of perfectionism. I think if there's one thing in, in performance-based religion that um, has an emotional and... Uh, almost <laughs> I won't use those words cult like hold on you mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. is that ingrained and like you said it gets into the family culture and I have found in working with people leaving Mormonism that even 10 years you know even my own family and kids mm -hmm. here we are years and years and years later fighting against that very strong mindset of checklists and i have to do this and it has to be right and, yes um it takes years yeah. to unravel that thread right it's so tightly round wound around my soul that even 27 and it's been how long well it's been 28 yeah. years since yeah. i came to jesus well and, and and what happens it's interesting because the apostle paul addresses this very thing that any that a ministry he calls it a ministry of works in second corinthians but he calls being under the law, which was basically a performance-based religious system that God set up to draw people ultimately to Jesus, mm -hmm. he calls it a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. Yes. And I think what people don't realize, because performance looks so good on the outside, they don't realize that inwardly it goes totally against the freedom of a relationship with God that's based on grace, I think there's often not a complete rejection. There's parts of us that want to be able to perform. It makes us feel good about us. But oh, wow, yeah. the insidiousness, insidious, that's the word, the insidiousness mm -hmm. of it. Yes. 
is unless we reject it totally for what it is, death and condemnation, it will continue to rear its ugly head and we just we have to keep going back to grace. So I I want to say with Lynn, thank you so much for starting mm. with that because yeah. it is such a it is such a trap. It's a spiritual trap, it's a spiritual burden. Yes. And, and it, it didn't even take thought to start there because that's where we began as Mormons. Right. So there's a lot more to your story. And if if our listeners are fascinated and they're new to the podcast, I want to refer them back to um, just look up Lisa Brockman's story. It's in two parts. And she goes into a lot more detail about this transition time, um, about her relationship with, was it Gary? Gary. Yes. Okay. Um, and how God used that, but it is a wild ride that you're not going to want to miss. So if you haven't heard it, you're going to want to go back to the podcast archives and find those episodes because they are fascinating episodes. They're a couple of my favorites, just saying. So <laughs> Lisa Brockman. Yeah. So any more you want to add to your, to the, your summary of your transition story out of Mormonism to Jesus? I think just read all the juicy details in Out of Zion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and the book basically chronicles that story, right? Yes, it does. Okay. And so, it invites you, invites the reader into the culture as they journey with me into my story, which is a really critical piece to my book, where it's not just doctrine, but you are going to journey into the culture and all the good parts of the culture and the parts that are life squelching. Right. Because how many generations does your family go back? I'm the sixth generation Mormon. Okay. So this is deeply ingrained in family culture and family belief. It was the only spiritual religious option, even on the table, for generations for your family. Yes. And they're very devout, very, very devout and passionate about their faith. Yeah. And so I guess my next question is, so what prompted you to write the book after 26 years of being out? How did you come to decide to, to tell your story? I would never have initiated this journey. It took God so obviously pursuing me. I was packing to go to a church family camp and the day we were to arrive, one of my pastors called me and he said, hey, we'd like to have somebody share their testimony tomorrow morning. And we're really last minute wondering who could be prepared with their story and who'd be willing to share it in front of all these people. And I thought of you. So it just seemed very flippant and random. And I was like, I'd love to share my story. So the next morning I'm walking toward the meeting and our pastor's wife introduces me to a man named Robert Wolgamuth, who I knew who he was. I had no idea what he does. Mm -hmm. And everyone in our church knew who Robert is, though. He's one of those types of public figures. And I was an elder. He was an elder. So we weren't on session together. But there was some. Anyway, I knew his name. So she, Lee introduced me to Robert. And she said, 
Lisa was a Mormon. She grew up in a Mormon family in Salt Lake. And I just thought, oh, that's an interesting introduction. That's usually not the Where lead people foot. start. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't think much of it other than that's curious. Well, Robert said, I would love to hear your story. And I thought, well, little do you know. And so 15 minutes later, my pastor calls me up and I share my testimony, just a little 15 minute testimony. Well, after that meeting, Robert approached me and started asking me really intriguing questions. Like, what book would you put in the hands of somebody who has a Mormon neighbor, who's a Mormon, who's just a lot of different questions that people never ask me? Mm -hmm. And one question led to the other, and he said, Lisa, have you ever thought about writing your story? And I still didn't know his ah, profession. Okay. But I felt like someone punched me in the gut. And... I said, uh, maybe in the way distant future, because my parents are living, my family's still living, I adore them. We've worked really hard at our relationship, and we've built trust, and I did not want to rock that boat. And so... Yeah. And your family's still in performance-based religion. Yeah, everyone but yeah. one sibling. Yes. And so anyway, when Robert asked me that, I was like, well, we had just adopted. Our lives were completely upside down and turned inside out. And I just said, well, Robert, I, I mean, someday. And he said, Lisa, are you a writer? And I said, well, actually, I am a writer. And so he gave me his card. One thing led to the another. And within a week, we were in a contract. And he's a literary oh, agent. My heart. In a week. In a week. Like, I sent him a few blog posts that, that following Monday. He said, well, you are a writer. And yeah, a week. So I just prayed about it. And I knew God was inviting me into this terrifying journey. And I really have sought to jump off this vessel many times throughout. <laughs> yeah. And God keeps you tied to the mast. It's like, sorry, sorry, kid. You're he's in for just, the ride. Just hang on. He's, you know, I was reading in the Psalms about how he is our shield. And I was reading in a book last week about how it painted a picture of the type of shield that they used in that day. And in this particular verse, it was talking about how this shield is a three-sided shield. And it was the kind that they would use when they were in war and it would protect them from hot oil coming on them and all sorts of things. But the shield only was effective and worked if you were moving forward. Yes. Because it had nothing behind you to protect you. And that's been this journey where Jesus keeps inviting me, keep following me, Lisa, I got you keep following me and it's been terrifying but so so how long did it take you to write the book then so from the time you have a contract and you start on your manuscript yes it was supposed to well it took six months of writing okay 500 words a day and i did ask for a two-month break after four months because it was a pretty excruciating journey going back through my story while unfolding uh, Mormon theology, there was so much shame. And I'd oh. never worked through my story in light yeah. of the theology. Wow. And so it was another level of grieving and shame. And after four months, I was like, I need an SOS. I need to jump ship for two months. And they graciously granted me that. So it took me six months of writing 
500 words a day. Wow, which takes us right back to our original subject, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, my goodness. I'm 28 years out. Still, my vision of God is skewed. Well, Lisa, that is such a great place to be because that is what is true of every single one of us. Yes. None of us are able to comprehend this infinite, amazing God that's revealed himself. And I think that is key to going deeper with God is when we acknowledge that God, I think at times I don't have a clue who you are. Yes. I mean, I know stuff about your character. I know you're good. I know you're loving. But even how all that plays out in my life, mm-hmm. man, if mm-hmm. it's just by how it makes me feel, there are days I don't feel like you're good or loving. Yes. Um, and so, yet, having come from performance-based religion, we know what he's not. Right. Yeah, and talk it, a little about, can you talk a little bit more about that, Lynn? Me? For our people? Oh, about yes. knowing what God is not. Yes. No, I yeah. I I saw God in Mormonism as a uh, punitive father, which is this shame that Lisa's talking about, right? Continual shame and fear and guilt of a father who's watching over you, has given you the rules, and you mm-hmm. need to be following them. And if you don't, I'm going to put my hammer down, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to protect you, and my spirit won't be with you, mm-hmm. and. It's a horrendous way to live. And yet now, I do not have checklists, believe it or not. I rest in Jesus and he unfolds my life through a sanctification process. He is a merciful God. He is a loving God. He is a personal God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I trust this God. I don't fear this God, um, not that I'm not in awe of this God, right? but mm-hmm. I don't feel like he's always running after me or examining me to see the bad. Um, mm-hmm. A very different way to live, mm-hmm. uh, right, Lisa? And I can see w- where when you're taken back to that shame place, you can only do that so long. Right. Yeah, it's that vision of our biblical God that compelled me to keep writing that Jesus says, I just wanted people to know Jesus is good. Our biblical God is a good God. He's a kind God. He's a loving and merciful God. Don't give up seeking. When you come to that place of cataclysmic questioning and disillusionment, if you do as a Mormon and begin to explore the historicity and all that comes with that, and the doctrine, don't give up seeking the real God because he's so kind and good and loving. I remember as I had to begin to immerse myself into Mormon theology as I'm interacting with both Mormons and people who are transitioning because I've never been a member of the LDS church. Mm -hmm. Um, But in 30 years, um, I feel like I've gone pretty deep with people in the theology. And I remember one of the things that when I understood it struck, I mean, it was like a, it was like a gut punch was the teaching that, and I think it's maybe even in the book of Mormon, you guys feel free to correct me, but it's a teaching that God will not give a commandment that people can't keep. So not only 
are all the, there are all these commandments the expectation is you have every responsibility to keep every single one of them and there is no excuse ever mm-hmm. for breaking a single commandment that is yeah. on you and yeah. that is what this god was holding over these people mm-hmm. and when i realized that it broke my heart because i thought wait that was the yes. point of Jesus. Jesus came and kept all the commandments for us. Not that because God knew that we could keep them and we had to keep them, but because God knew there was no way we could ever keep them yes. without him. And so Jesus kept the commandments for us. Mm-hmm. And it did so much to increase my compassion yeah. for the Mormon people that I knew that were sincere and dedicated and they were working so hard because they had believed this. They believed that they really could and they really should. Yeah, my life verse has become math verses. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through eighty. And or twenty-eight through thirty. Okay. And in the message <laughs> version, it starts out Jesus saying, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, learn from me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And then he goes on to say, learn the unforced rhythms of grace as you're yoked to his light and easy yoke. And that so evaded me. Even 15 years as I was apprenticing myself to the biblical Jesus, it still evaded me. And one day as I just was in a place of desolation for years, I was like, God, what are you up to in me? that you allow me to be in this place. I felt like I've been a bug on its back and I was clamoring, trying to like flip myself over for years. It was just a journey of suffering and him not showing up in the linear way that I'd grown to believe in as a Mormon. I do A and B and God does C. And he wasn't being linear for years and years and years. And it's really the greatest gift he's given me. However, I'm finally surrendered. So now I'm just a bug on its back, surrendered. I was like, God, what are you up to? And he said, I'm infusing you with my grace. You work so hard. You clamor and you work and you work and there's no space for me to infuse you with my grace. And I need to bring you to this place to open you to receive my grace. Wow. And isn't that our amazing pursuing God? that he pursues us and he allows suffering that suffering far from being something negative and again i just got hit between the eyes with again this morning when i was reading in second corinthians in i think it's even just the opening chapter it's like suffering and afflictions are mentioned like four times in the first 10 verses Mm -hmm. Um, and it's what the christian rejoices in because it's what draws us into intimacy and dependence on our god who yes. shows up and brings true comfort yes. so that we in turn can comfort others. One, one of the things that began to happen to me as, as God infused his grace and I got a larger understanding of that grace was I began to give more grace to other people as mm-hmm. I got it. So yes. the next place I'd like to go with you, Lisa, is what has happened with your family relationships, especially with your family still in Mormonism, since writing the book? Because I know you've explored all this in writing yes. the book. Yes. 
Yes. And before you answer that question, I'm going to jump in and give us a two-minute warning for this episode. Go ahead and start answering the question, but for our listeners, uh, you're going to have to go to part two, which will be the following week after this one airs, to hear the rest of it. Well, telling my parents about this book offer felt like going back to that Japanese restaurant in Salt Lake City 28 years ago when I sat in front of them and said, I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. And it was the most terrifying moment of my life, period. My mom's response was, you've left us, you've left the family, and she screamed it. Like she was, it just goes, the theology, as you know, it seeps into every cell of your body. Right. Now that's what she said when you told her about that you were following Jesus alone uh, for salvation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I'm going back there. I was terrified. So my husband and I got on a FaceTime call with our parents and we just beat around the bush for an hour and caught up. And then I had the courage and I was shaking and my voice was shaking as I shared with them. God's just opened. I didn't use God. I just said doors have opened to me over the previous five years and God has just kept inviting me to walk through them. And this is where we have ended up. And I have a publisher and I'm going to be writing my story, but it's our story. And I just want you to know I hold that with such weight. And my dad said, honey, what, what's the rub in you right now? Because he saw all of my jitters and heard them. Right. And I said, I just love you so much. I don't want to dishonor you. And he said, honey, we know you love us and we love you. And we know you won't dishonor us. And it blew my mind. I just began to weep, as did my husband. And it was just all those years of loving each other. Like they've worked as hard to love me as I have to love them. Yes, and And that's where I'm going to stop you. But join us next week because we're going to continue Lisa's story and we're going to pick up right here. So thanks for being part of the Unveiling Grace podcast. There's still a lot more to come. Grace and peace. Until next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilders book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.